Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that captured the attention of many people a few weeks ago was a tunnel collapse in India that trapped 41 miners for 17 days, more than two weeks. And yet amazingly, all 41 of them were saved. Part of the reason the rescue took so long was because the drills that they were they were using, they kept hitting metal and, and concrete, which, which the drills, they, those drills weren't made for. And so eventually they had to use handheld drills to get through the last bit of the collapsed tunnel that the big machine drills couldn't get through. It was in many ways an incredible rescue. But you know, Christ by His coming has accomplished an even more incredible rescue. An even greater salvation. The salvation He brings should capture the attention of all people. And yet too often it doesn't. Too often it doesn't get the attention it should. The world in general doesn't give it any attention at all. But it can even sometimes happen also in the church. That we can fail to give the salvation that Christ brings. The rescue that He performs. The attention it deserves. We, we hear about it. And we pay lip service to it. But it doesn't, it doesn't grip us. It doesn't grip our hearts. We don't give it the attention it's, it's worthy of. Our, our focus, our attention is so often on other things. Maybe for you it's on the pleasures of sin. Or on the pleasures of this world. The pleasures of this life. Or maybe for you it's, it's on the doubts and the questions that you, you, you wrestle and you struggle with. Or it could be on the difficulties, on the hardships, on the, the challenges you're experiencing or, or, or you have experienced in the past. Or, or maybe your attention is just on the, the everyday pressures of life, the, the, the daily grind of life, the routine and all that you have to do each and every day is, is at work, at home, at school. Or maybe, maybe your attention is, is focused on, on your, your own religious performance. Or perhaps it's, it's focused on, on what other people think or say of you. We could go on, I'm sure. There are many things that that we can so easily become focused on instead of the salvation that Christ brings, the rescue that He performs. And that's why we need to hear the Spirit-inspired words of Zacharias in our text for this morning, Luke 1, verses 67 to 79. <coughs> because what does Zacharias do here in these, in these, in these verses? He, he, he blesses God, doesn't he? But why does he bless God? What, what is he blessing God for? It's for the salvation that Christ brings. That's the theme of his praise, of his prophecy. It's, it's the salvation that Christ brings, the rescue that he performs. And Zacharias makes that clear by using the word salvation actually three times in this passage. In verse 69, he refers to Christ as the horn of salvation. And then in verse 71, he again speaks of 
salvation, of, of being saved from our enemies. And then in verse 77, he tells us how his newborn son, John, as, as the herald, the forerunner of the Lord, the one who would go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, how he was to give knowledge of salvation unto God's people. And so Zacharias is, is telling us about the salvation that Christ brings. That's what's capturing his attention. That's what he's blessing the Lord God for. And his words are recorded for us in Scripture so that the salvation that Christ brings, the rescue that he performs, might capture our attention and that we would join Zacharias in blessing the Lord God for it. And so our theme with God's help is blessing God with Zacharias for the salvation Christ brings. We'll see, first of all, the great gift it is. Secondly, the life-changing effect it has. And thirdly, the divine mercy it shows. So notice, first of all, what a great gift this, this salvation, the salvation that Christ brings is. Zacharias highlights this in, in verses 68 to 73. Look for now just at the way that he begins in, in, in 68 and 69. He, he says there, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So Zacharias, he, he speaks of, of not how how he or how the people are, are bringing salvation. No, he says God is raising up a horn of salvation. And he's referring to Christ, as we'll, we'll see in a moment there with the horn of salvation. But, but that tells us, doesn't it, that salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God. And, and, and verses 68 to 73 make clear how great a gift it really is. For one thing, it's free. It's free. The salvation that Christ brings is a free gift, a sovereign gift from God. He has visited His people. He has redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The salvation that Christ brings is a free gift from God. And doesn't that alone make it worthy of our attention? Doesn't it, that alone highlight for us how worthy God is of our praise. I, I mean, why would God do that? Why would He visit and redeem anyone? Why would He raise up Christ as the horn of salvation for anyone? It's certainly not because we're worthy of it. God didn't owe it to us because there was something in us. And that's what's different about the salvation that Christ brings, the rescue he performs from the rescue of those, of those miners a few weeks ago. Those miners were, in a sense, they were, they were innocent victims. But you see, the mess, the bondage, the, the, the slavery, the misery that we, we are trapped in by nature is something that we have brought on ourselves by our sin, by our rebellion against God. God did not owe us a visit because we were somehow worthy of it. He did not owe us redemption. He did not owe us a horn of salvation. The truth is that in our sinful nature, we are utterly, we are utterly opposed to Him. We hate Him. 
And we are dead set against Him. We are guilty of treason against the Lord. If we deserve anything, it is His judgment. It is His wrath. It is His condemnation. We are more worthy of God's destruction of us than the Hamas terrorists are worthy of Israel's destruction of them. We believe that. We are more worthy of God's destruction of us. And the Hamas terrorists are worthy of Israel's destruction of them. And yet God, but God, in spite of that, in spite of our hostility, our enmity, our treason, our rebellion, our stubbornness against Him has come. In Christ, the Lord God has come and He has visited His people, not in anger, not in wrath, not to destroy them, but in mercy. In mercy to accomplish redemption for them. And while His people, while His people refers primarily here to the Jews, <laughs> we know from the rest of Scripture that it ultimately includes also the Gentiles. God has raised up Christ as a horn of salvation, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. And He's done that freely. He's done that by His sovereign grace alone. The salvation that Christ brings is a free gift from God. Isn't that reason? Isn't that reason to bless God? But this gift of salvation is not only free, it's, it's also complete. Look at verse 71. Zacharias, he says that God has raised up a horn of salvation. That, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. So Zacharias, he's using this picture of being freed from captivity, of, of being freed from bondage to, to physical enemies, imprisonment by physical enemies to show us the completeness and the fullness of the salvation that Christ brings. He, he was likely thinking, he was likely thinking of how God had freed Israel from their captivity to Egypt so many hundreds of years ago from their bondage to the Egyptians. That was a complete deliverance. And, and they would have seen that as they, as they stood on the other side of the, the Red Sea, having crossed over and having seen the waters, having covered the Egyptian and seeing the, the Egyptians dead on the seashore. It's a complete deliverance. But you see, that deliverance was ultimately pointing to this deliverance, to this rescue, to this salvation, God's gift of salvation that Christ brings. It's a salvation that frees us from our enemies and not just some of our enemies, but notice what he says, from the hand of all that hate us. And what are those enemies? Zacharias is not speaking primarily here of Rome or of Herod. We know that because later on, as we'll see, and later on as he speaks, he speaks of salvation in terms of the forgiveness of sins. So by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zacharias is speaking, he's speaking primarily of enemies much closer to home than Rome is. He's speaking, the enemies that he refers to are not just physical. Yes, it includes the physical, ultimately, but it's not just physical, it's spiritual. Our sinful flesh, Satan, 
in the hostile worlds, along with death and with all the other consequences of sin. Those are the enemies that we're all in bondage to by nature. But God's salvation in Christ frees us from all those things. We experience, yes, we experience it in part now, but one day we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will experience it in fullness. It's a complete salvation. What does that tell us about Christ? It tells us he's a mighty Savior, doesn't it? He's a mighty Savior. He does what no one and nothing else can do. He saves from sin and from Satan and from the world and from death, from all of them. What a mighty Savior he is. And that's why Zacharias calls him, at least in part, that's why he calls him the horn of salvation. Because what does a horn represent? What is a horn a picture of children? It's a, it's a picture, it's a symbol of strength, of power, of might. You think of a, a, a bull or a, a mountain goat or, or maybe a rhinoceros. What do they use their horns for? They use their horns to fight and to scatter and to destroy their enemies. And that's, that's what the picture is here. Christ Jesus is God's horn of salvation. He's the mighty Savior. Yes, He's the almighty Savior. Because the gift of salvation that He brings is a complete salvation. It's a salvation from all our enemies. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be blessing God for that? Shouldn't we be giving this salvation our full attention? Isn't this salvation the kind of salvation that you and I need? It is. You see, by nature, all of us are in bondage to all of these enemies. And there's no one and there's nothing that can save us. There's no one, there's nothing that can save us from sin, from Satan, from the world, from death, left to ourselves. It is hopeless. And Zacharias knew that, didn't he? He knew how hopelessly lost he was left to himself. Even when an angel appeared to him. An angel appeared to him. And it's clear from the text that this was no... I mean, the angel wasn't appearing in just an, like a man. No, when the angel appeared to him, fear, he was troubled, Zacharias, and his fear fell upon him. He knew this was not just another person. And even when the angel appeared to him and announced that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son, he had refused to believe it. That's why he hadn't been able to speak. That was God's discipline for his unbelief. You have to wonder, don't you? I mean, how could godly Zacharias, he was godly, he was righteous, he, he was a holy person who followed the law of God carefully. How could he refuse to believe an angel? Well, he did. He did. 
And that reinforces the point, doesn't it? And left to ourselves, in and of ourselves, there is no hope. But blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Can't you picture Zacharias speaking with his voice now, his, his, his tongue finally loose? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has not left us to ourselves, but in Christ he has become the horn of salvation for us, the almighty Savior. What hope that gives us. He's, com he's a complete, he's an almighty Savior. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. And you don't know where to turn for help. Turn to him. Maybe you're struggling with pride. Turn to him. Maybe like Zacharias, you're struggling with doubt and with unbelief. Turn to him. Maybe you've been convicted of your sinful past and you don't know what to do with it. Turn to him. Bring it to him. Maybe you want to be saved, but you don't know how. Turn to him. Cry out to Christ. With him is complete salvation. He's the horn of salvation for us. And he is set before us in the word of God so that we would believe, so that we would trust in him, so that we would forsake our sins and forsake ourselves and cast ourselves on him. And we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Oh, blessed be God for the salvation that Christ brings. For the great gift it is. It is a free salvation. It is a complete salvation. And it's God's long-promised salvation. You see that in verses 69 and 70. And then verses 72 and 73. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began. And then going to verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. Now, what's that saying? It's saying that this salvation that Christ brings is the salvation. God's salvation of his people from the Egyptians and from the uh, from the Philistines and from the Assyrians and from the Babylonians. They were all great and they were all wonderful. But this salvation, the salvation that Christ has come to bring is the salvation. All of God's rescues of Israel in the Old Testament are the shadows of this great rescue. The rescue that he performs. The salvation that Christ, having come in the flesh, in our human flesh, is 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 the ultimate, the climactic fulfillment of all of his God, God's promises, of his covenant with Abraham, which he renewed again and again throughout Israel's history and revealed more and more of as the time went on to the prophets. It's the fulfillment, this salvation is the fulfillment of his oath, of God's oath, of that seed that he would give to Abraham in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's his fulfillment of that promise of his covenant to David. There would be a son that would sit upon his throne and of his reign there would be no ends. Christ is the great Savior God has promised. There's no one else. And there never will be. 
He's the one. He's the one. He's the only one. And that means two things. The first thing is this. If you really want to be saved, you must look to Christ. You must trust in Him. You must forsake your sins. You must forsake your unbelief. You must forsake your doubts. You must forsake your pride. You must stop wasting time. You must stop making excuses. And you must stop acting as if God still has to give you some other Savior. Some experience. Some clear sign. No, God has promised only one Savior of sinners. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. He is that one Savior. And by His Word and by His Spirit, God sincerely offers Him to you. To every one of you here this morning. And those who may be listening online. And he calls you. He calls you to trust in him. To fall on your knees before him. In repentance and, to, and in faith. And to confess that he is Lord. He's the long promised savior. The only savior there is. The only savior there ever will be. So stop making excuses. If you're here and you have not trusted in Christ. And you say you're looking for salvation. Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses for your unbelief. Stop acting as if God has to do something more. He's given us Christ and He's given us His Word and we should trust in Him. Submit to Him. He's a long-promised salvation. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. When you are in Christ by faith, you have everything. Everything you need. Because the salvation he brings is God's long-promised salvation. And there's no greater salvation than that. When we're in Christ, there's nothing more we need. And nothing. We have it all. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so no matter what may happen to us even in this life. And there may be difficult things that happen. To us. And there probably will be. But no matter what happens. As we look for his second. And his final coming. We may know that in him. We are safe. We are saved. Fully. And forever. Oh blessed be God. For the salvation that Christ brings. What a great gift it is. What a great gift. Christ. Is. But maybe you're thinking. Does his salvation really make that big of a difference. Does it make a difference in, in our lives? Well, yes, it does. You see, the salvation Christ brings is not only a great gift, it, it has a life-changing effect. And that's our second heading. Look at how, how verses 74 and 75 describe it. The, the purpose and, and really the effect, because God always fulfills His purposes, doesn't He? That's why I'm, call, I'm calling it an effect. It's a purpose, but it's also the effect of the salvation that Christ brings is the fulfillment of God's, verse 73, the oath, God's oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might what? Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. What is this telling us? 
It's telling us that Christ's salvation, the salvation that he brings, enables and produces service to God. When we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, we are given the grace and the power to serve him. Apart from, apart from that, apart from his salvation, we never did and we never could and we never would serve the Lord. We served sin, we served Satan, we served the world. But when, when we embrace the salvation that Christ brings by grace, that changes. That changes. Praise God. It changes our lives. It enables and produces service to God. And our text points out three things. Three things about this service that, that underscore for us how life-changing it is. For one thing, His salvation enables and causes us to serve Him without fear. Without fear. Without fear of what? Well, in one sense, we can say that it, it enables us to serve Him without fear of, of condemnation. Because in Christ, we are, we are loved by, by the Father. We are loved by the triune God in Christ. And we do not have to fear when we are in Christ. There is no condemnation. But, but in the context, the without fear here is, is, is really speaking about serving God without fear of our enemies. Because He has delivered us from them. And of course, we mentioned this deliverance isn't fully completed until glory, when there will be no more enemies to face and there will be, there'll be perfect peace. And, but, but when we have been saved by Christ, we can serve God without fear, even now, even here. We do not have to be afraid, even in the midst of the very real hatred, the very real hostility of Satan and of the world. And even as we, we battle against our sinful flesh. Why? Why don't we have to be afraid? Because as the psalmist says in Psalm 27, the Lord, when we are in Christ, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of what shall I be afraid? Can our enemies hurt us? Yes. Can they ultimately destroy us or take away our salvation? No. You see, when we have been saved, when we have been saved, God is for us. And then we can say with Paul, if God be for us, who can be against us? No one. Our enemies will not win. You think of how Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, describes it in verse 3. He says, he writes these words, and, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. God's salvation, you see, the salvation that Christ brings enables us and causes us to serve him without fear. Because, yes, even in the valley of the shadow of death, because he is not only for us, but he is with us. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you, you may remember the part when faithful and Christian come into the town of Vanity Fair, and how the people there, they, 
They stop them. And at first they try to tempt them to buy the, their, their merchandise. They, they try to tempt them with worldliness and worldly things, but, but they refuse. And then the people, what do they do? They, they end up beating them and they end up throwing them in prison. And eventually they end up killing faithful. Killing faithful because of his faith. Because he did not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. He served God without fear. Yes, there may have been a part of him that felt afraid, but he did not give in to his fear, you see. And what can explain that? What can explain why countless Christians, like faithful, have courageously served the Lord and even given their lives for Christ? It's the salvation that Christ brings. The horn of salvation that we should be saved from our enemies, that he would grant unto us that being delivered, being saved out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. That's what enables us to serve God without fear. Whatever enemies you face as a believer, no matter how big, no matter how strong they may seem, whatever enemies you face as you serve the Lord God, Christ's salvation enables you and enables me to go forward. As we sing sometimes in Psalter 407 from Psalm 149, to go forth in his service and strong in his might to conquer all evil and stand for the right. For this is his word. His saints shall not fail, but over the earth their power shall prevail. And even if we should be killed, then there will be no more enemies to fight. See, we can serve God without fear. The salvation Christ brings enables us, when we've experienced it personally through faith, enables us and causes us to be able to do that. What a reason that is to bless God for the salvation He brings. But it also enables us and, and causes us to serve Him in holiness and righteousness before Him. You see, when Christ saves us, He doesn't just save us from the guilt of sin. When Christ saves us, He saves us from the power of sin. He gives us new life. He gives us His Spirit. And, and by His Spirit, He makes us a new creature, a new creation, which Ephesians 4 verse 24 says is after according to is after God, according to God, created in righteousness and true holiness. And we, we hope to hear more about that this afternoon, Lord willing. But, but the point now is that Christ's salvation changes us. It doesn't leave us the way we are, but it transforms us, it, it, both in our heart and in our, our conduct from the inside out. It, it enables and produces obedience to the Lord, love to Him, true love to Him and to our neighbor. It restores to us the image of God in which man was originally created but lost because of the fall. It doesn't do it all at once. It doesn't do it fully even in this life. It does it gradually as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But in heaven, with our soul and in the new creations, with both soul and body, we will serve the Lord then in perfect holiness and in perfect righteousness before him. The bud, the bud of righteousness, the bud of holiness that has begun to open here will burst into full flower there. 
And that flower, unlike any other flower here on earth, it will never fade or die because the salvation that Christ brings enables and causes us to serve God not only without fear and not only in holiness and in righteousness before him, but also all the days of our life. Or to put it another way, continually. And when we're in Christ, what does continually mean? It means forever. Because in Christ, we have everlasting life. In other words, the salvation that Christ brings enables us and causes us to persevere in serving God until the day that he returns and he, he makes all things new and we live in his new creation. Where, where as Revelation 22 verse 3 says, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus, shall be in it and his servants shall serve You see what a life-changing, what a life-changing, most wonderful effect of Christ's salvation. That raises a question for, for us who claim to be Christians, who claim to be saved, doesn't it? Is this effect evident in your life? You don't answer that question just by looking merely by looking at your Sunday church attendance. You answer that question by looking at your life, by looking at your thoughts during the week, by looking at your words during the week, by looking at your behavior, not just in relation to God, but to other people. Who or what? Are you serving? Am I serving? Romans 6 verse 16 tells us that to whom you yield yourselves to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So which one are you serving? You can't serve them both. No man can serve two masters. But God be thanked. God be thanked when it can be said of us that we were the servants of sin. But we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to us <coughs> and have been made free from sin and become the servants of righteousness. That's the fruit. God be thanked, you see, because that's the fruit of the salvation that Christ brings. Oh, blessed be God for that salvation. A salvation when you've experienced that, when you who were once a servant, a slave of Satan, and Satan was a strong man that, 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 was, that had control and possession of your heart and of your life, and he's been cast out, and the Lord Jesus has set up his throne, and you serve him, yes, imperfectly. Yes, there, there's lots of ups and downs in the process, but it's there. It's there because of the grace of God, because of his salvation. And one day when he comes again, when he comes again, yes, oh, we're waiting for that day, then all who's, who are in Christ will be made perfect. And we will, we, will, we will serve him perfectly without fear. Forever. Because that's God's purpose with the salvation Christ brings. And, and his purposes, they always come to pass. But maybe you're wondering, that this salvation is really for, for someone like you. 
I mean, maybe you look at your own heart and life and as a Christian, as a believer, you're looking to Christ, but you see so many sins, you see so many shortcomings. And you wonder maybe if, if, if God won't give up on you. Or maybe you're here as, as, as someone who's never come to Christ, but you, and, and, and you, you don't because you, you think there's too much. There's, my sins are too many. I, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing this enough. Is there any hope for me? And that brings us to our third point, the divine mercy that salvation shows. The salvation Christ brings, you see, not only is a great gift and has a life-changing effect, it also shows, it displays, it displays the mercy of God. This comes out in verses 76 to 79. Zacharias, still speaking there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he speaks to his child just over a week old and and there's a lot here. We don't have time to deal with all of it. But, but notice, notice what Zacharias says <coughs> about the salvation that Christ brings. He says that we, we know, we experience the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation we experience by the forgiveness of our sins through or because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. What is the day spring from on high visiting us, referring to? It's referring to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's comparing, it's comparing the coming of Christ to the sun coming up in the morning. The day spring, that's an old word for, for the rising, the rising speaking there, the rise of the rising of the sun. Here in Alberta, we get to witness so many beautiful sunrises. I saw it again this morning. I've never seen such beautiful sunrises so often anywhere else, almost every day. And every sunrise that, that comes up as you see the clouds turning that pink and that orange and the sun coming up, they, they testify, don't they, to the mercy of God who makes His sun to rise on both the evil and on the good. And in the same but the far greater way you see the coming of Christ and the salvation that He brings is heaven's sunrise that we get to see, that we've been privileged, but that he's visited us with. And it testifies in a much greater way than any other sunrise that we experience here on earth. It testifies and it displays the mercy of God. And what mercy it is. What mercy it is. Notice, notice how our text describes it. It's tender. Tender mercy. It's deep mercy. It's compassionate mercy. It's, that word tender it refers to a, a deeply felt compassion and yearning. The kind of, the kind of feeling you, can, you might get in your gut when, when for someone you love when they are hurt or, or they are suffering in some way and, and it makes you do something for them to help them. That, that's, that's the mercy of God. Christ coming and the salvation he brings shows us that God's mercy is so tender. It's what his heart, the heart of God, is full of. And it's forgiving mercy. It's forgiving mercy. John's ministry was to give knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of our sins. And the basis of that forgiveness, the basis of that salvation is the tender mercy of our God. 
which Christ's coming reveals. Christ secured that forgiveness, didn't he? By his death for, for his people, or for all who trust in him on the cross. And so God's mercy, it's a forgiving mercy. Forgiving all who come to him. Empty-handed, nothing in their hands to bring. Forgiving all of them, trusting, who, who trust not in themselves, but in Christ. It's tender mercy. It's forgiving mercy. And lastly, it's powerful mercy. The word mercy in the original is actually in the plural. So you could translate it the tender mercies of our God. <laughs> and verse 79 shows us how powerful his, his mercies are in Christ. Because Christ, by his coming, has visited us with the mercies of God. To what? To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's how powerful the mercy, the tender mercy of God is. It gives light. It gives light even to those who are in the most hopeless condition. That's what sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death referred to. It refers to a completely hopeless condition. You think of those miners after that tunnel collapsed. I don't know if they had lights, but if they didn't, they were sitting in darkness under this great mountain above them. Hopeless, hopeless, completely hopeless condition. That is who we are spiritually in a condition of being hopelessly lost by nature. But Christ has come to give the light of God's mercy to such people to guide their feet into the way of peace. The way of peace with God. And the way of peace, of the peace of God. And you know why, don't you? Because Christ himself had to have all light blocked out from him in his three hours of darkness on the cross. that we might have light. Blessed be God for his mercy, his mercy revealed in the salvation that Christ brings. Maybe you're here this morning. And this is you. You know it. You're sitting in darkness. You're sitting in the valley of the shadow of death. You know it. And you're afraid you're gone too far to be saved. You are not. You are not. You cannot be too lost in darkness that God cannot or will not save you. That he will not shine his light on you. Don't use that, that as an excuse to continue in darkness or to burrow deeper into the darkness. No, don't hide from the light that's shining before you even this morning. But come, come to the light. Use it as an encouragement to trust in Christ today. He is your only hope. He's your only hope. And even now in the preaching of the gospel, he's shining his light. God is shining this light. He's saying, come, come. But also what hope and encouragement that should give, give us who are looking to Christ but are afraid sometimes that God will, will give up on us. He won't. He can't. Because of his mercy, so tender, so forgiving, so powerful. That's the mercy with which Christ has visited us. That's the mercy of God. That his salvation shows. There's no greater salvation, congregation, than the salvation Christ brings. It deserves our attention more than anything else. Not just here in church, but as we go out of the doors, 
as we speak with one another, as we go into our work, our work, our job, our school, whatever, our homes. It deserves our wholehearted embrace by faith. How foolish it would have been for those 41 miners having had that tunnel burrowed, burrowed through to them uh, to, to rescue them. How foolish it would have been for them to have sit, sat there and said, I'm not coming out. Don't let us be so foolish with the salvation, the rescue that Christ brings. It deserves our embrace, our taking hold of it, our laying ourselves on the stretcher of those, as those miners laid themselves on the stretcher and were carried out. It deserves our proclamation to others and it calls for our wholehearted praise of God. So let us join Zacharias, won't we? And say with him in faith, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ, for visiting us in him, in grace, in mercy. Lord, we pray that the lights, the, the rays of your mercy in Christ would find their way to our hearts, each and every one of our hearts, would comfort the downcast, the discouraged, the weary, And would call us all, also those who've never, never experienced your light in their hearts before, <laughs> that they would come <laughs> and respond to it in faith, laying themselves at the feet of Christ, that Son of Righteousness who has arisen with healing in his wings. In his name we pray. Amen. Psalter 293, 293, all the verses. Mm -hmm.